Elizabeth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. You may not have known that there are several different types of fat in the body. One of these, the so-called brown fat, has significant health benefits. We'll hear from a researcher about these benefits, but first, some recent news in science. Vaccines against the coronavirus are a good start in protecting us against infection. A further step would be preventing infection in the first place. A recent report from an international team of researchers suggests just that possibility. When you're exposed to the coronavirus, you become infected when the membrane surrounding the virus fuses with the membrane of one of your cells. The spike protein on the surface of the virus acts like a harpoon, grabbing onto a vulnerable spot on certain respiratory cells. Once the spike protein is hooked onto the host cell, it changes shape. Think of the shaft of the harpoon melting onto the host cell membrane. This allows the virus membrane to fuse with our cell membrane, and then the viral genes can enter. The scientists designed a compound that blocks the fusion of the spike protein. They've tested it in ferrets, a small mammal that is highly susceptible to COVID infection. The team designed a nasal spray that completely prevented transmission of the virus when naive animals were housed with infected animals under conditions that would normally result in 100% infection. This compound is very stable. If human trials are successful, it could be used to reduce community transmission, facilitating herd immunity. This research was reported last week in the journal Science. Unless you were living under a rock last week, and not a Martian rock, you probably heard that NASA's rover called Perseverance successfully landed on Mars. Landing on Mars is difficult due to a combination of a thin atmosphere and substantial gravity. An atmosphere is useful to slow the speed of an incoming spacecraft, but if the atmosphere is comparatively thin, you need some additional tricks. The Mars 2020 mission used a landing system called the Sky Crane. That employs a remarkable series of devices to slow its speed from more than 12,000 miles per hour when it enters the atmosphere to a more leisurely speed of less than 2 miles per hour when it lands. When it entered Mars' atmosphere, the rover was tucked inside a heat-resistant carbon fiber capsule that can withstand temperatures up to 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit. About four minutes later, when the speed slowed to about 1,000 miles per hour, a parachute was deployed to slow its descent. The 70-foot-wide parachute is the largest ever sent to Mars and was packed into a container measuring only 18 by 26 inches. Then, the heat shield was released, and 80 seconds later, at an altitude of 7,000 feet, it was time to release the Sky Crane, which is a vehicle that holds on to the rover and uses reverse thrusters to slow its descent. At about 70 feet above the surface, 
The rover was lowered down from the sky crane on a set of cables as it slowly reached the ground. When the rover touched down, the cables were cut and the sky crane flew off to crash a safe distance away. And for the first time ever, you can watch a video of a landing on Mars. Go to mars.nasa.gov to see the video and to hear the first audio recording of sounds from Mars taken by a microphone on the Perseverance rover. Here is that recording. If you listen carefully, you can hear the Martian wind. From Mars to How on Earth, I'm Joel Parker. Dr. Paul Cohen of Rockefeller University in New York is a physician scientist whose research focuses on obesity and metal metabolic disease. Cohen investigates the molecular origins of metabolic dysfunction related to obesity with the ultimate goal of developing therapies to break the link between them. Welcome to the show, Paul, and thanks for talking to us about your research today. Thank you for having me. So you recently published a very interesting study, and I want to just give the listeners a brief overview of the study because it's pretty remarkable, the scope and the the amount of data you analyze. You used electronic records to look at almost 150,000 PET scans looking for the occurrence of something called brown fat. So let's start off by um, having you tell us exactly what brown fat is. Sure. So uh, brown fat is a tissue, a fat tissue or adipose tissue that is thought to be primarily present in mammals. And unlike white fat, which I think everyone is familiar with and is a culprit in obesity, uh, unlike white fat, which stores excess energy, brown fat actually burns energy. And it does that by converting energy into heat. And so it's thought that our ancestors evolved brown fat as a way to defend against cold temperatures. So in people that don't live in industrialized societies like ourselves, do they have more brown fat than we do? Because it seems like it's not very common in us. Right, so I'm not aware of any studies that have carefully looked at that, although that's an obvious question. Um, there is the notion that um, perhaps in modern times, humans have less brown fat because we now, most of us live in societies where we can control our own thermal comfort. We have clothes and sweaters and jackets and we can adjust the thermostat to our comfort level. And the main stimulus for activating brown fat is cold exposure. So most people, even if they live in a cold climate are able to keep themselves warm most of the time. Right. So we probably can't do this with people, but in animals, if you expose them to cold, will they develop more brown fat? Uh, yes. So um, mice will, which is the main model system that uh, we and others in the field use, will live very happily at six degrees Celsius for an indefinite period of time. 
And the reason they're able to do this is that they can very strongly activate their developmentally preformed brown fat, the brown fat that they developed during embryogenesis. But in addition to that, there is a second type of brown fat that is induced in response to cold uh, that is termed beige fat. And both of those kinds of fat tissues can convert energy into heat. Okay, so we'll come back to those um, because I think the mechanisms are really interesting and also some of the genetics. But um, let's jump into the work that you published recently. And you went in knowing that there are some health advantages to having more brown fat. And then you also determined that there were some additional advantages to this. So can you talk about those types of benefits accruing from brown fat? Sure. So uh, just by way of background, um, I think for a while it was thought that brown fat was really only relevant in small mammals and in newborns, um, where the threat to life of cold temperature is particularly uh, concerning. But a series of studies in 2009 um, established that adult humans have brown fat. It can be detected on a radiological imaging study called an FDG PET scan, and it can be induced by cold. And they also saw a number of interesting patterns, such as brown fat being more prevalent in women than men, uh, going down in prevalence with increasing age and body mass index and being more common in cold winter months. But <clears throat> because um, brown fat is detected by these FDG PET scans, um, there have not been very many studies that have used very large data sets that are powered to address some of the broad impacts brown fat might have on overall health. And so we took advantage of the fact that we're across the road from Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is a major cancer center. And we established a really productive collaboration with a group of radiologists there. And they perform thousands and thousands of PET scans every year because this scan is commonly done to diagnose or track the progression of cancer. And um, they always, when they read their reports, comment on whether or not brown fat is present. And so that allowed us to, in a automated way, search through many thousands of reports and identify a cohort of patients with brown fat and then assemble a matched cohort of patients without brown fat. Um, we were then able to link that to all of the data in the patient's electronic health records and I guess the most striking finding was that we saw there was a very strong association between the presence of brown fat and reduced odds of metabolic and cardiovascular diseases like type 2 diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease, and congestive heart failure, among others. Right. So that's pretty amazing that this tissue that we didn't even know that adults had for a long time could have such a profound effect. Were there pretty striking effect sizes that you saw, like in, in the magnitude of the relationship between brown fat and these other health outcomes? So the <clears throat> way we measured the effects is with something called an odds ratio. And I, I should emphasize for the audience that these studies are set up to document associations, but not causation. So we're looking retrospectively for statistical associations between brown fat and the presence or absence of a certain disease. And so the associations we saw in some cases were very, very strong. So for instance, um, for type two diabetes where the uh, association was strongest, 
the odds ratio for type 2 diabetes was 0.44, meaning the risk of diabetes is less than half in people with brown fat relative to those without brown fat. Um, so I'd say these effect sizes are, are quite um, uh, impressive. And I think what obviously needs to be done now is a prospective study where patients would be randomized in such a way to see whether or not brown fat actually impacts the causation or development of these diseases. Right. So I guess before we go on, I should ask, was there a cutoff that you used in assessing PET scans in terms of how much brown fat was present? Because I'm assuming it's a continuous variable. And so it probably, there wasn't just either or, but you had some arbitrary cutoff, or probably not arbitrary, but some distinct cutoff between when you assigned them to the brown fat group and when they were not assigned? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. For this study, um, because we were looking at so many scans, we just did a binary yes or no. So yes, brown fat or no, no brown fat. And these patients, because these were clinical scans, they were deliberately not stimulated with cold exposure. So in our series, about 10% of patients overall had detectable brown fat. Um, in follow-up studies, we have looked at um, subsets of scans and manually measured brown fat quantity and activity. Um, and we're beginning to learn interesting things there too. Um, doing that for each study requires um, time. And so currently there aren't automated or artificial intelligence-based ways to do that. And so that's the major reason why we stuck with this binary um, characterization initially. Right. So I'm sure that the listeners are now thinking, you know, what's, what's the difference in terms of a mechanism between white fat and brown fat? What is it about brown fat that could possibly be inducing? I mean, I, I understand that you're looking for correlations, but um, there's probably some causal link somewhere. We just don't know what it is yet. Right. And, and I think as someone who runs a basic science lab, these associations and humans for us are uh, great starting points for hypotheses that we can then test in cells and in animal models. And so we've considered a few different possibilities. So first, um, in order to generate heat, brown fat needs a fuel to generate heat. And the main fuels for brown fat are glucose and free fatty acids. And so by consuming glucose and free fatty acids in the blood, um, the activation of brown fat helps contribute to lowering of these factors, which of course, when elevated, are associated with diabetes and hyperlipidemia. Uh, so that's one. Um, the other thing is that the overall mass of brown fat in a human is relatively low. And so we don't necessarily think that brown fat can burn so many calories that it would have a major impact on body weight. Um, and so in understanding how it works, we're also considering one is that might the presence of brown fat somehow affect the distribution or health of white fat? Um, or two, um, we're increasingly learning that brown fat is an important endocrine organ. It releases metabolites and hormones that can signal to other tissues. And perhaps a lot of the benefits associated with brown fat are conveyed by these hormones. Okay, so I want to come back to the endocrine mechanism, but before I do that, 
Um, as listeners of this show will know, I've been kind of obsessed with mitochondria in the last six or eight months. And there's a really clever thing that they do, which I'm assuming they are doing a lot in this brown fat, um, which is they short circuit their normal trajectory of energy metabolism to produce heat. So mitochondria are probably much more active in brown fat than they are in a lot of other cells. And because mitochondria appear to produce a lot of signaling molecules that tell the rest of the cell what's going on and how to adjust its metabolism, it, have you been able to look at any of those kinds of pathways? Yeah, so you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, brown fat cells are among the most mitochondria dense cells in the body and mitochondria contain iron. And so it's the iron in the mitochondria that gives brown fat a literal brown color, hence the name. Um, the activation of brown fat by cold exposure is associated with a dramatic increase in the number of mitochondria. And then you spoke about this short circuiting. So what is unique about brown fat is that it expresses a protein within its mitochondria called UCP1 or uncoupling protein one. And that protein is the key um, switch that short circuits energy metabolism. So rather than being banked as ATP, which is the storage unit of energy, the energy is dissipated or burned to, to generate heat. And um, it seems that, you, that this mechanism is a mammalian adaptation, although interestingly, domestic pigs lack a functional UCP1. And so that's one example in our natural world of an animal that can live without this mechanism. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so let's go back to the endocrine um, issues because both white and brown fat are very endocrine, what am I trying to say? Um, have a lot of endocrine activity. And mm -hmm. um, how would you characterize brown fat in terms of its endocrine activity? Well, uh, the, the endocrine role of brown fat is a really hot area right now. Um, it's not nearly as well studied as it is for white fat, which makes important endocrine hormones like leptin, which regulates appetite and body weight and adiponectin to name many others. But um, we and other people are doing studies both in cells and in animal models to try and define the full repertoire of endocrine factors that can be made by brown fat. And our preliminary data indicates that it can make hundreds, if not more of these unique endocrine factors. And so really the challenge now is in figuring out what each of these factors does uh, to physiology, what tissues or molecular targets does it act on? And then if results are promising, might that be a target that can be manipulated for therapeutic benefit? Right. And so I just want to reiterate for the listeners that you found um, in your research, and then there have been other research programs prior to this that have shown some really interesting health benefits associated with brown fat, including reduced risk of coronary disease and um, even cancer, as well as the um, metabolic disorders like type two diabetes. So um, in, in some of your recent work, you've been tracking the influence of a specific gene and you've made some mouse knockouts that lack this gene and it has a, a really strong activity in terms of activating brown fat. And so I'm just wondering if you think in the future there would be any way to activate that gene in people perhaps epigenetically that uh -huh. could cause the activation of this healthy brown fat. 
Yeah, so the the work you're referring to, which was done in, in the lab where I did my postdoctoral research, and there's a long line of talented scientists who played major roles here, I was just one of many people, um, is a transcription factor. So it acts as a switch to regulate programs of genes. And transcription factors are notoriously challenging to drug therapeutically. Um, there are many people trying to develop strategies, though, to either engineer healthier fat or make white fat behave like brown fat. And I think there are a lot of promising possibilities there. Um, I think an area that we're um, quite enthusiastic about now that we're heavily focused on is the genetic side. So if you go back to humans and look at these scans, you spoke about a continuum, which there is. And so that leads to the obvious question, which is what explains this continuum? Why does one person have a huge amount of brown fat and another person have hardly any? And undoubtedly that's at least in part due to environmental factors, but we believe that there may be genetic determinants as well. And if we can identify what those genetic determinants are and figure out how they work, I think that could lead us in some really interesting directions. Yeah, and it'd be very cool if there was some biomarker that were available to assess brown fat because mm -hmm. when somebody in the PET scanner is um, kind of a costly and invasive test. And so if you wanted to do prospective studies, are there any possibilities for um, stand-in biomarkers? Uh, so right now there is no well-validated biomarker, but it is a major uh, need in the field. And, and as you've pointed out, um, a PET scan involves radiation. It requires intravenous administration of a tracer. So it's not practical or cost-effective to use as a screening tool for the general population. But if we could identify a simple bloodborne biomarker that very closely correlated with brown fat activity, then we could really have the potential one day for anyone to know if they have brown fat or how much brown fat they have. Right now, this is all a theoretical consideration, but, but there are a number of groups, including mine, that are, are working to try and reach that goal. Right. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time, Paul. I know that you have some more meetings coming up. So um, we'll leave it there. And um, okay. yeah, I wish you good luck with your work. It's Thank really you. interesting. I would love to know what my brown fat level is, but yeah. I guess the next I time I go in a pet scanner, I'll I'm find out. I'm scared to know, but um, thank <laughs> you for your interest. And I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. That was Dr. Paul Cohen of Rockefeller University in New York. We spoke about his recent study highlighting the link between brown fat and positive health come, outcomes in cancer, cardiovascular disease, and type 2 diabetes. I'll provide a link to his paper in the show notes. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. I'm the current executive producer and produce this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Weird Al Yankovic. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.